The great hope we have this Christmas season holiday, it's wonderful to sing the gospel. Now we're preparing our hearts to hear the gospel, then to leave and to bring the gospel. We're going to pray. I'll invite you to pray with me if you're comfortable, and then we're going to open up the Bible to hear from God and his word. God, thank you for being with your people. You are indeed Emmanuel. Thank you for your humility that you would condescend to us and reveal your, your face in the image of your son. Would you please work this morning through the preaching of your word to um, affect and transform people's lives and hearts? <clears throat> um, if that doesn't happen, we're just going to do this in vain. And so we're coming to you with faith. And you even accept people who have small faith the side of a mustard seed. So thank you for big faith and for little faith. And for those who have no faith, I pray that you would stir in them, Lord. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one of the things I really love about the Christmas holiday is certainly all the tradition uh, that it brings. Um, the ugly sweaters, uh, you know, come out. Uh, life's, the lights go up on houses. People throw parties. People bake delicious cookies. All of it's wonderful and fattening, and that really makes my heart happy. Um, but the thing that I really do love the most about the Christmas season holiday is certainly the carols and the hymns. Um, especially when they're played on the radio, as soon as the song begins, it just draws up this feeling of nostalgia. And then for me, my emotional juices and Christmas spirit really begins to then flow. Um, but in a much greater way for me this year, um, although the tunes have really still got me, uh, what has really got me about the Christmas songs and hymns have been uh, the lyrics. Actually, um, there's one song in specific that has been in my heart a lot lately. I just can't seem to shake it. And it was actually this, the song that we just sung uh, right now, the song right before this, Oh Holy Night. It intrigued me. And so I Googled it. I did some research. And I found out some really interesting facts about this song. Fact number one, it was written by this Frenchman in the year of 1843. And fact number two is quite, is quite staggering. Uh, rumor has it that um, it was this song which caused a momentary truce between the soldiers who were fighting on opposite sides of the war during World War I. On the western uh, battlefront, there were British soldiers and Belgian soldiers and French soldiers fighting against their German enemies, and it is said that it was this song right here sung out from one of the trenches that caused the German soldiers the next morning to come out from their bunkers, walking out onto no man's land, calling out in English words, Merry Christmas. Other German soldiers with them were holding um, up signs reading, you no shoot, we no shoot. And, uh, and wearily, soldiers from both sides came out onto no man's land, greeting one another, exchanging gifts of cigarettes and hats and buttons and food. Uh, and altogether, there were around 100,000 men enjoying for one day amidst that war a moment of peace. All from singing one song, which is a song about a thrill of hope given to a weary and in their circum, uh, circumstance, war-torn world. And although we just sang it, I just want to read to you the opening lyrics of the song again. This is what they say. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, which means living in or um, obsessively practicing. 
till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks, somewhere out in a distance, a new and glorious morning. In other words, the soldiers in this war war came together peacefully as they found hope in this idea of a new day coming, which was a day that humanity and this world itself and all of its brokenness would be no more. Times Magazine actually wrote on this one event, and here's what they said. This truth has been remembered as a testament to the power of hope and humanity in a truly dark hour of history. And though this Christmas truth may have been a one-off in the conflict, the fact that it remains so widely commemorated speaks to the fact that at its heart, it symbolizes a very human desire for peace, no matter how fleeting. And so, here's the reality. The holidays are beautiful, and we should enjoy them. The holidays certainly highlight the image of God born in me and you, that we indeed have an ability to love one another, be generous towards one another, celebrate, delight, practice um, uh, care and hospitality. But here's the one thing they don't do, and that is make all the hardship go away. In fact, I heard someone say not too long ago that the holidays only serve as a magnifying glass to highlight what is really true. What is really true about us in this world? Well, it's that although there is present beauty and goodness in humanity in this world, uh, our lives and this world are undeniably broken. And although we, by God's grace, are not in a world war, Though there are certainly wars happening right now, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't need a war to come to us in order to um, recognize the human dilemma of sin, evil, strife, suffering, and death. Even during the holidays, if we take time to be introspective and look around what's happening around us, we still experience in this season broken family dynamics, sickness, anxiety, loss, depression, unfulfillment, and things as such. All of these things here, the things that I just mentioned, are the things that come to us to weary and ruin our souls. So what do we need? We need the hope that is found in this song, that the song speaks of, which is the fact that one day, upon a sovereign promise from God, things won't be like this for us and this world any longer. That one day, because of God and all of his grace that he has with compassion for humanity, even in its rebellion, he would come and save and rescue us from our fallen condition factor and remedy death. That God would come one day and ultimately make all things new. And this morning, I'd like to show us that it is through the birth of Christ and this new age of hope that this is exactly what comes to us. In fact, Jesus, with the coming of Christ, comes a new dawn of hope that brings us into eager anticipation as we look back at his first advent and look forward at his second advent to remember that God is not done with this story of renewal. If you look down in your bulletins there, I've titled um, this message, A Thrill of Hope in the Garden. And I'd like to begin our time by reading to you from Genesis chapter 13, verses, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. The text says this, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? 
The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want to give you some context here. This story here, this short excerpt of passage, uh, comes from um, a larger story, which is found at the beginning of the Bible, the, the, the creation story, which, de- which describes the start of time and mankind here on earth. You might know the story. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and there he made Adam and Eve and put them in the midst of the garden, which is pretty much the closest thing to paradise that you and I can ever imagine. Everything was perfect. Then after making them, God basically came to Adam and Eve and said this, Hey, Adam and Eve, I want you to know me. And as you know me, I I want for you to enjoy love and relationship with one another. Enjoy the pleasure of sexual intimacy. Enjoy the pleasure of marriage. Enjoy having children. I have set up all these things for you in such a way that in them you will never know one ounce of tension, division, or strife. As you know them, I also want you to be aware that I have given you authority over my creation, so rule with authority. Rule this earth. Take heart heart knowing that I have set up all these things for you in such a way that you will never know, even when you work, what it means for a moment to toil or labor. labor. When you work, all you'll know is productivity and pleasure. This is my purpose for you, Adam and Eve. I love you so much that through my creation and you participating with me, you will know just how good I am and how much I love you. I have made these things for you to take joy in so ultimately they would turn you back to me and you will find joy and peace in me. But uh, many of us know the story. There's one rule which came to Adam and Eve in the garden, one parameter that came to them in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, and the, and the text says this. God says, You may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And you know that this is what Adam and Eve did. They end up eating from the tree. Our text this morning falls within the smaller context of this larger story, the creation story, and is what many of us like to call the curse. In other words, this is where the Lord God in the garden comes to Adam and Eve after they ate and rebelled against God. He came to them in their sin and placed a curse on them and this world, which eventually led to death. Genesis chapter 3 is the point in history where brokenness and malfunction and the consequences of sin leading to death were introduced to mankind and this world. It's a place where suffering finds its origin. Relational tension, unfulfilling work, depression, loneliness, anger, hopelessness, despair, and all things come alike. This is where it comes from. In other words, anything that has ever come your way to, woo, to, to ruin or weary your soul, this is where 
your hardship comes from. James, why would you ever pick a Christmas passage to talk about this? Here's the answer. Because in the midst of this God-forsaken curse in the garden, a thrill of hope is announced. A prophecy of a Savior who would one day come to reverse the curse and make all things new. If you look there in verse 15, after cursing Eve, God then speaks to the serpent, who in this story is Satan, and says to him this, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, the offspring of Eve, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, what I want for us to recognize here is that God is not just cursing mankind, but ultimately that he is cursing Satan. And he's declaring over Satan and creation itself with sovereign promise that one day from the line of Adam and Eve, from their lineage, a child would be born and grow up to live with one sole purpose and calling. And that one sole purpose and calling would be for him to crush Satan's head. How would he do that? Well, specifically speaking, within the bounds of this context, he would come to defeat Satan's power and the evil hole that he brought mankind in this world into by getting them to eat the fruit. In this curse, defeating, or in the context, defeating uh, the curse, specifically speaking, has to do with a defeat of sin, misery, and death what then would be the result of this great curse renewal? A great restoration of peace with God in the garden. I just outlined for you the mega narrative of the Bible. We began in Genesis. That's where the dilemma starts. We travel on through the story. I brought you to the end, but the one thing I didn't show you is the thing I'm going to show you right now here in the text. The dilemma starts with Adam and Eve, but there is a, a, a resolve, a great hope which comes to man right smack dab in the middle of the story of mankind. The one main thing that I want to show you from this text this morning is found in who it is that brings hope to this cursed world. Is it Adam and Eve who defeat the serpent and crushes his head? No, it's, it's her offspring. And the offspring spoken of here is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the prophesied seed in the garden. He's also the one that the angels spoke of to Mary and Joseph before his birth. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says this, But after Joseph had pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to embrace Mary as your wife. Up until this point, he had never laid with Mary, so he was freaking out that she was pregnant. For the one conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will what? Because he will save his people from their sin. In other words, Jesus is not just any seed announced by the angel, but rather a divine seed. Even in this text, the angel says to Mary or to Joseph that this baby in her belly was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the significance behind the virgin birth. That Mary never laid with a man before she became pregnant, but by the power of the Holy Spirit 
was given a child, which then reveals and combines two major significant things about the person of Christ. What are they? Number one, that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is fully man and fully God. This is why Christmas is so glorious. This is why the angels came to worship. Because through the birth of this one child, we have God stepping into creation, into the story of man indeed, to do a work. Do you remember what the work is from the garden text? To come and defeat the power of sin and death and step on Satan's head himself. Eve could have never imagined this. But the one who would come from her line would be God. That God would step into the storyline of his people to reverse the curse and bring a great hope of healing. One theologian said this, in making the promise to Adam and Eve that the serpent would be crushed, God was not telling a simple story to explain why human beings fear snakes. Instead, he was proclaiming cosmic warfare, the final defeat of Satan and the renewal of the entire universe. Ultimately, this is done through Christ Jesus our Lord, the righteous seed of the woman who defeated sin and Satan by his death and resurrection. Here is the hope of the message of Christmas for us. This here is the thing that fills us with joy as we sing about what has come. Christ's birth is the beginning of a new age. It is the unveiling of God's redemptive plan to save the world and rescue mankind. How did he do it? By leaving heaven, stepping into earth, humbling himself, become a man, becoming a man, living a sinless life, and then dying a sinful death for us on a cross in our place. In other words, Jesus comes to make up for that which Adam and Eve failed to meet in the garden and then takes upon his undeserving self only that which they deserved. Death. Why did he do it? So that through his substitutionary work, we and all of our sin and misery could be reconciled back to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were, be, were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
This is why we rejoice at Christmas. Because the baby who was born in a manger was not any baby, but God himself, Emmanuel, who came to rescue us from sin, misery, and death. Why is this the best news? Here's why. Because you and I, through good works, are not able to reverse the curse. In other words, morality, philanthropic efforts, coming together with locked arms, trying to do better as a society, cannot reverse the curse of death. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden because of sin, depraved in the nature fallen short of God's glory. Thus, the curse is inevitable for us too. We will indeed face death. What is sin? One man put it this way. Sin is another name for rebellion, God defiance, wretched opposition to the creator. Sin is both a condition inherited from Adam and an action manifesting itself in thought, word, and deed that when fully grown gives birth to death. It means we've broken God's commandments and have fallen short of his glory. There are two things that I want to leave us with this morning as we consider this text. Number one, we must conclude that the reason why this world is the way it is, is because of sin. And number two, as we consider our own depravity, we must conclude that we are not able to reverse the curse even with good works. We need a humble admission to identify with our forefather, Adam in the garden, to admit that we were licked in order to identify with that second greater Adam, knowing that there is indeed hope in him. There is no hope for those who cannot admit that they're licked But those who know that at their core, they do not have an ability to please God through the works of their own hands, but because of sin deserve this punishment of death, then can be freely given the gospel. What's the gospel? It's that God, in the same way that he comes to Adam and Eve in the midst of this God-forsaken curse, in them, uh, to them, in their sin, and pursues them, and gives them this great glimmer of hope through the one that he sends. It's the same way that God, the Lord Almighty, comes to us in our sin and pursues us to give us a great hope in the one that he has sent. God pursues sinners in their sin to offer a great hope, but that great hope is only great, great and hopeful when that person comes to their knees and finally admits that they're licked. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Who does the light shine on? The light of Christ shines on sinners who turn to Christ for salvation. And then further in John chapter 11, he goes on to say this, more curse reversal. I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In other words, through Jesus Christ, he does not only forgive our sin, but then provides the hope of eternal life. So the two great dilemmas from the curse are now defeated. Sin loses its power and death is no more in the person and work of the baby. Which uh, brings us to the end of the story, which is a returning to the garden. Heaven itself. Uh, if you're here and uh, you believe in Jesus, I just want to remind you that as your heart aches for glory and I continue to serve you as your pastor and we together as God's people continue to lo- live life together, this is what is for you as you wait. The new Adam who covers you with perfect righteousness and who grants you salvation and a perfect status before God to the moment that Christ appears. We get the full measure of God's love and grace through that second Adam, and this is what Christ has came to do. Um, the other night, my, one of my boys was being put down to bed by my wife, and uh, he said to her, uh, hey, Mom, I have had a lot of bad stuff happen to me this winter. And uh, that night he was struggling with an earache. And uh, just earlier that week he got done struggling with a nasty cold. Two weeks before that he had the flu and the croup. And uh, in all of his sickness he missed some holiday festivities, one of the Christmas parties that had all of his friends. Uh, He told that to my wife. My wife then told me and it crushed my heart. Why did it crush my heart? Because I hate the fact that my children and my family, myself and you, the people of God, have to experience suffering on this side of heaven. I want to protect my family from that. But here's the reality. I can't. I'm powerless to do so. I'm licked. My family's licked. We need a savior. We all need a savior. Good people and good deeds will not could not, will never reverse the curse, but there is one who has. Jesus is the one who was born to crush the serpent's head. He's the thrill of hope announced to mankind in the garden. And the way that he crushed Satan's head was by and through his substitutionary death for us on a cross, his sinless death. Christ on the cross hung on a tree and took upon himself the full weight of our sin, the curse indeed, so that you and I, by faith in him, could be freed and given the hope of eternal life. Who does the hope come to? Uh, The hope comes to those who would turn from their sin and give their lives to none other than this baby who is born in a manger. My brothers and sisters, in the Christmas season, we're reminded of a merciful God who gives grace to his creation. And um, at the very end of the story, it's when all things will be made new. I'd like to close by reading to you a vision, a vision from the Apostle John from the book of Revelation. It's the second to last chapter of the story of the Bible. John is having a vision of glory, of heaven, and this is what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride 
beautifully dressed for her husband, Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the older things have passed away and he, Jesus Christ, who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, if your hope is in Jesus this morning, dear saint, I do want to remind you that you have the full righteousness of Christ, the second Adam who covers you. Indeed, for you, this hope of heaven is waiting. And uh, if you have never experienced the full weight of glory born in your heart through salvation, you can experience this joy that I'm talking about here through confessing your sin and believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to turn away from the life that you're living knowing that it produces in you no hope and that it's actually not working, and if you want to surrender your life to the living God who changes lives and gives hope eternally to his people, today's the day. How does it happen? It happens through you getting honest with God and saying, Lord, please forgive me. I'll turn my life and give it to you. Have mercy. I believe in Christ. You can have it this morning. I pray that this great hope would change your life. You who are Christians and you who are about to become, I'll, I'll close our time in prayer. Father, thank you that humanity has not been left on its own to figure it out or solve the problem. Father, thank you that we have seen your character uh, though we rebel against you and are indeed actually godless, taking pleasure in our own sin, that you, through the sending of your Son, provide hope to rebels. Oh God, I pray that you would give hope, supernatural hope through your Spirit to those who fully bank and have faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, oh God, that you would call a people here this morning who have never been your people so they would receive the joy of having intimacy with you and the Father. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this great morning of celebration. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, each year at our church, we have a, a tradition that we do to end our time together. It's through lighting of candles. Um, this, this, this morning, we're going to light a candle, and there's some symbolism here. Although it's not nighttime, it's still a great uh, symbol for us to participate in. These are um, candles. Each week represents a week that we come closer to the birth of Christ. The middle candle there is the Christ candle, the candle that we light on Christmas, but we're, we're together uh, this morning. I'm going to light it now. I'm going to light the candle, and then I'll light my candle, and this is what it represents. Jesus being the light of the world passing on to one man, family, or child, and that one man, family, or child then taking that uh, one gospel light and passing on, and so the whole world is full with the hope of the gospel. We're going to do that now. Uh, we're going to pass our flames until the whole room is filled, and we're going to close with one closing song. Let's go ahead and do that. Please stand. Please stand.